Now, one of the great blessings of having a daughter is that I get to read lots of books with her, right? Sometimes I'm too busy to do that, but I enjoy doing it, uh, mainly because I get to read books uh, which I simply never read growing up in Zambia, right? In rural Zambia. I, I just don't remember those sorts of stories. As a lover of books, I am genuinely fascinated uh, by children's stories and what they are trying to communicate uh, to the reader, and particularly our children. Take the story of Rapunzel, for example. In the version of the story that we have at home, uh, the young girl, Rapunzel, is locked up in a tall tower, right? by some very evil woman. The only person Rapunzel sees is this evil woman uh, who climbs up the tower using Rapunzel's beautiful, long, golden hair as a ladder to get to the top. One day, of, we, we read in the story, a prince is passing by uh, and he sees this evil woman going through the routine of calling out to Rapunzel and Rapunzel letting her hair down and her using Rapunzel's hair to climb up to the top. So the prince sees this, and after the evil woman leaves the house, uh, they, they, this tower, the handsome prince decides to give it a try, right? And uh, Rapunzel lets him in into the castle. And of course, if you know the story, they fall in love at first sight. At some point, the evil woman finds out that the prince has been visiting. Rapunzel. So she cuts off Rapunzel's hair and uh, sends her away in the forest while she, the evil woman, waits for the prince to come back. When the prince arrives, he, uh, he goes through the routine again and uh, with that long hair, the evil woman lets him climb up and of course when he gets to the top, uh, he finds out that there is an evil woman there waiting for him. And of course this evil woman throws uh, the prince of the tall tower, and as he falls down, he cuts his eyes and becomes blind. He loses his sight. The prince is now blind and is wandering through life broken-hearted. Uh, his lost love, Rapunzel, is also heartbroken. Uh, she spends that time singing in tears. After some years pass, just as her hope seems lost, the prince hears a woman singing, and he immediately recognizes the voice. And as he approaches this woman, Rapunzel begins to cry, of course, uh, because she recognizes, she, 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 she recognizes him by looking at him. And of course, they, we imagine they hug and they are crying with one another. And as Rapunzel cries, uh, tears falls on the eyes of the prince. And those tears of Rapunzel have healing power that then heals the eyes of the prince. His eyes has been restored by the loving tears of Rapunzel. And the story of Rapunzel fascinates me because it's a story about the power of love to overcome evil and bring healing through in all the broken circumstances that life throws at us. It is a redemptive story. It is telling us this, that no matter how bad things get, we must not despair. If we have love, the love in us can push away the darkness we encounter in life. And that is true, isn't it? Love is a glue that is holding your families together. It is a glue that holds your friendships 
together. And love in a good society holds society together as we care for one another. It enables us to face trials with that bond of unity. And yet, the more I read the story of Rapunzel, the more it always leaves me troubled. I'm not yet in a position to have this conversation with my daughter. But, it, but when, I, when, when she, she's growing up, perhaps next year, which is a bit older, we'll have the conversation. Because what troubles me about it is that it seems to be saying the prince needs Rapunzel in life to be happy. And Rapunzel, to a degree, needs the prince to be happy. It holds up to our children that love, a form of love that depends on another human being as an ultimate form. It holds up that love as the ultimate form of love. He's saying, you know, if, if another person can love you, they can truly fulfill you. And if you can love them, your love will heal their brokenness. You can live happily thereafter. It's very humanistic in its approach. And we know in experience that's just not true. People can't fulfill us. They can't. There's no such love I'll receive from anyone that can heal me. It can't. It can make me feel better for a while. But it can't. You see, this is what the world is offering us. For all the criticism of Christianity, what the world is offering you in opposition to Christianity, the truth of Jesus, is Rapunzel, another human being to fulfill you. But listen, what if there really is someone whose tears of love can heal us? Not just physically or emotionally, but relationally and spiritually. What if there is someone greater than Rapunzel? What if there is someone whose tears of mercy have the power to banish our darkness forever? And not just in this life, but beyond the grave. We would want such a person, wouldn't we? We would want to have such a person. And the Bible is about God sending us such a person to us. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And the book of Mark we've been studying is a biography of the life and ministry of Jesus while he was on earth. And this, we've been through this now for 10 chapters. We're coming to the end of chapter 10, right? And Jesus now is in the city of Jericho. And we'll see here that Jesus is about to do a miracle that is similar to what we read in Rapunzel, right? He's going to heal a blind man. Except what we're reading is not fiction. This really did happen. And Jesus didn't need tears to do it. And unlike Rapunzel, this story of Jesus has the power not just to make us, uh, not just to, 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 to make us wonder at it, but he has a living power to change our lives forever. So please turn with me to Mark 10, verse 46, and, and just learn three things I just want to show you from this story about our Lord Jesus Christ and, 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 what, and life in general. And I've, I've, I've put three headlines there in front of you. And the first thing we just observe from this story is that everyone is crying for mercy. Everyone. Everyone is crying for mercy. 
Uh, we are on the road, as I said, with Jesus as he makes his way to uh, Jerusalem. Uh, he's in the desert town of Jericho, uh, the home of Zacchaeus, some 15 miles away from Jerusalem. Uh, and we read this at the beginning, isn't it, verse 46. And they came to Jericho. And Jesus is in Jericho at a busy time. Uh, the, the Jewish Passover is approaching. The, the roads are jam-packed with pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. And if we're watching this on TV today, we, we could see a big crowd now around Jesus. Uh, people are holding up their cameras and, and taking that Instagram moment because Jesus is that big. And then as we are watching this on TV, uh, well, suddenly the camera switches, doesn't it, to a dirty man by the side of the road. Uh, he's struggling to balance himself. He's within this bustling crowd. And as the camera zooms in on this man, we see that he's blind. And he seems to be motioning something. In, and his mouth is opening. And he's shouting. We can see shouting. We can't hear. What is he saying? Well, let's hear what Mark describes it for us. Verse 46, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. But Mass is blind in a nation that has no social security. He is completely helpless. Life has left him begging on the streets to feed himself. There are no food banks there. He's on his own. He cannot, because he's blind, he cannot enjoy the beauty of creation. All he knows is darkness. He's lived in darkness. Uh, his life, we might say, is a dark prison. And immediately we realize that this man is not living as God intended us to live. Sin which entered the world through Adam has destroyed him. His, his suffering in this sense is, a, is an outcome of that original sin. And we imagine there are maybe many days when he cries to himself on that street. He is longing for his life to change. Uh, his life really hurts. And he's crying out for mercy. And as we look at this Bartimaeus, we realize that the truth is we are all Bartimaeus. We are all in a situation here this morning that are perhaps beyond our capacity to change. In general, life is beyond our capacity to change. And in our own way, we are all longing for help in the situation we may be facing. As we sit here this morning, someone is probably experiencing pain in our family or in the family of a friend, and she's shedding tears before God for his mercy to change things. Someone is probably struggling with an addiction that is tearing them apart. She's pleading for the light of God to push away that darkness. She feels trapped. Someone here probably is desperate needing healing for themselves or their loved one. And he is silently crying to God for his healing hand. And, and then there are those who are not here. 
They are so bruised by life spiritually that they can't even bear to enter the doors of any church. Life has wet them down and they are secretly crying for mercy. Different situation, but every human being cries, knows something of this crying for mercy. And here is what we need to remember as we look at this story. The world cannot help us. The world cannot help us. And that is our second truth here. Everyone is crying for mercy. And tragically, the reality is that the world cannot help you. It cannot help us. You cannot help you. Let's go back to blind Bartimaeus. He's shouting off the top of his line. That's why we left him in verse 40 and verse 47. And we expect the people around Bartimaeus now to step in and help. He wants help, wants to see Jesus. And they should help this man. But to our surprise, the faces in the, in, in the crowd, they turn hostile. They are disgusted by the blind man. They are disgusted by, by him even having the guts to raise his voice in the public. They are like, shush. Look at verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. By the way, the word for rebuke, they're the same word they, that we see when Jesus rebukes demons. This is serious censure. Uh, the people around Bartimaeus think he's a public nuisance. Uh, they, they just want to give him an asbo, right? That thing introduced by the Labour government. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, I thought about this. I thought, I'm pretty convinced. I don't think they necessarily think he does not deserve help from Jesus. I think what's more likely here is that they are blind to his condition. They lack empathy. They have become so used to seeing blindness that they do not see this man's needs. The situation of this man, which once perhaps moved them to tears, no longer moves them to tears. They're almost like competing with him in the crowd. They want to see Jesus and he's getting in the way. Get out of here. We, have, we want to have church. That's the attitude. And we see this in our lives, isn't it? Think of this first time you are going into the office where you work, perhaps in central London, and you noticed an homeless man, perhaps on one of the tube stations. He had never been there before. You noticed him. And if you are like me, you debated with yourself. Should I help him? I really should stop. Is it right that just walk like this? Jesus ex expects me to stop. Jesus would stop. So you're debating yourself, but of course you're in a rush, so you keep going. But the debate continues. You sit at the office, perhaps it's in your head. Oh. Okay, tomorrow I'll try and do something different. Of course, tomorrow comes. Another debate. The day after, you're thinking to yourself, ah, I, just, I must walk quickly past him now, right? Homeless man, quickly walk past him. And of course, that continues. And a week, perhaps months later, because the man is always there shouting, perhaps sometimes he's playing something, it no longer matters to you. You no longer notice him. You, you see him intellectually, but, and you understand this situation. But you're not emotionally drawn to him. 
In fact, sometimes it's even competing with you. It's getting in your way. You're trying to get to work. What once moved you no longer moves you. And we see this with churches, don't we? When a church is being planted, in a, in a church plant, I've seen it, in a church plant, everyone opens their hearts to everyone and the neighborhood. Young, black, old, rich, poor, white, nicely dressed, smelly, good dressed, you know, high class people, disruptive people. They open their hearts to anyone. Why is that? Because the young church knows it needs to win souls. It, it understands its mission. And actually, frankly, it realizes, realizes that it needs members <laughs> to survive. And it knows that God has placed it there to do that. And so members are hoping up their hearts to everyone. But over time, God starts blessing the church. The new members become established members, elders, deacons. The church grows, good financial program. Reaching middle classes and other things, and very established. It's standing strong off the back of God's work. Then one day, a smelly local drunkard shows up for fellowship lunch. How is he treated? Some are shuffling around gingerly around the smelly man. Others are in the corner. It's him, isn't it? It's that man. Another whisper. Have you spoken to so-and-so? He's here today. It sounds like fiction, but I've seen it with my own eyes. It does happen. Smelly Bartimaeus is free to come back, of course, to church, but he has been treated like he's not supposed to be here. What, what once moved that, that church, that, when it was a church plan, no longer moves the church now that it is strong and established. It knows its market and is sticking to the market. Why do we treat people like that? Well, I think partly because we are led by the world that says the people who matter most are people who make us feel good. The people we should care about people who make us feel good. So a broken and struggling but a mess does not make us feel good. So like all good utilitarians, we try and avoid such a person if we can. That's the way of the world. It's not the way of Jesus, but it's the way of the world. The bigger reason, I think, is that we lack mercy for others because we also need mercy. And I think that's the bottom line. And this is the point Mike is making here. It is not just blind Bartimaeus who is blind here. The crowd is also blind. Their blindness is different. They are spiritually blind. He is physically blind and spiritually blind. There's no difference. That's what, that's, what, that's what Mark is drawing attention to. That's why he's included their reaction to this man. To say, they are just like blind Bartimaeus. And you know, that's what the Bible says in general. The Bible says all human beings have turned away from God. We all of us now live in a state of darkness. Our rebellion has left us spiritually blind. We are not just spiritually blind, beloved. We are blind to our blindness. This is why there's nothing I can tell you to say you are blind because you even be blind to my words. It needs the Holy Spirit to open your heart to see your blindness. All of us, we are, we are trying to crawl our way through life in darkness. Imagine, as I've said before, imagine a planet where everybody is blind. We are living 
at one. Planet Earth. Spiritually blind. The world cannot heal your blind, cannot heal your, your, your pains, cannot heal anything, cannot heal your soul, cannot do a rapunzel for you because the world is full of rapunzels that are blind. N- none of us are what we should be. That's why the world is not your help. Your job cannot help you because your job is created by a blind person for blind people. Not from the east, from the west comes deliverance. Only from Jesus. Only him can save us. Only the Nazarene with his sack full of mercy for the blind can heal our blindness. And that's the final point we see here. And that's the good news of this passage. The first point is that everyone is crying for mercy and the truth is that the world cannot help us. But the good news is that Jesus is mercy. Jesus gives mercy to the spiritually blind. That's our third point. Jesus gives mercy to the spiritually blind. So let's go back to Bartimaeus. We see that he says he has hit a human firewall, hasn't he? But he plans to die trying. Look at verse 48. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, Have mercy on me. His prayer has not gone unanswered. His life is about to change. Let's read on verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. I thought about that. I'm picturing Jesus in the crowd, hearing this man. And he has stopped. That surprises me. Because Jesus does not have to stop for this man. Not only is he in a hurry to get to Jerusalem on time so that he can be the Passover lamb that is sacrificed at the right time for sinners. Jesus has spent the last three and a half years healing the sick with very little to show for it actually because many of them who have even benefited have not really followed him. So he has tried, he has worked hard, and no one can accuse him of running away. He has been as generous as he can be. So he doesn't have to stop. But the heart of our Lord beats mercy. He hears the cries of the needy. Above the noises of the crowd. And he's calling him to go to him. And you know what? He's doing the same thing today. He just doesn't have to stop for you. But he's here. He has stopped for you. He's waiting for you in your life. He's there with you. If you trust him, you can be sure that Jesus of Jericho is standing right where you are. Are you currently praying and you feel discouraged for lack of answers? You feel like your voice is just one of many among Christians in the crowd or calling out to Christ. Mark is saying to us here, your Savior is listening. He's standing with you now. Yes, he hasn't given you what you want just yet. 
And he might not if he decides not to. But he has given you himself. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. He has stopped for you. He has given you himself. Your Jesus can never be deaf to you, his child. He is whispering, I am here to be your helper. I am here to be your strength. I am here to be your healer. Keep looking to me. Not the world. Look to me. So Jesus goes for Bartimaeus. And I imagine it's a bit louder, right? I imagine saying, call him. And I picture the people around Bartimaeus have heard the call enough to turn next to Bartimaeus and said to him, we read in verse 49, and they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling. Their words mirror Jesus' heart for this man. I am hearing Jesus talking through them. He's saying to Bartimaeus, take heart, get up, I am calling you. And we're told Bartimaeus leaps to his feet. He casts aside his beggar's robe, and, and I'm sure all the coins he has collected, none of them matters anymore. His day of deliverance has arrived, and he runs to Jesus. No, he doesn't. He feels and listens his way to Jesus. Because Bartimaeus is still blind. Verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. I am picturing as he's coming, perhaps someone is holding his hand, and the crowd is parting. Until finally he stands in front of the King of Mercy to receive his portion of mercy. Verse 51 says, And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And we read, And immediately he recovered his sight. The first person Bartimaeus sees is God incarnate. God in the flesh. He has been trapped in darkness, but God has said, let light shine in the darkness. And Bartimaeus sees God now. He sees the Son of God in front of him. He hoped to see life to the full. That was his longing. But he's got much more than he bargained for. He's got the author of life standing in front of him. Jesus always over delivers. He dishes out grace upon grace. But the mayor has not just seen God. He has found everlasting faith in God. Verse 52 ends and says, And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You know, our Jesus is so loving. He's so tender. He's so compassionate. Jesus has summoned Bartimaeus from the margins of life and has made him his very own. He has drawn him with loving kindness. The beggar has become a disciple. 
a seeing, walking, and talking follower of Jesus. And I'm sure as we get to this evening, it will be better mares with this Christ, son of David, that will lead the shouts into Jerusalem. This is what Jesus has come to offer each one of us. The healing of this blind man is pointing us to that deeper spiritual healing that's being offered to all who come to Jesus. All human beings, as I said, live in a state of darkness. We are cut off from God. We are fruitless, looking to the world, crawling in the dark, trying to make sense of our darkness. And Jesus has come to lift us out of that darkness by his mercy. He has come to give you spiritual sight. That's what faith is, spiritual sight. And he gives it to you by his death and resurrection. In Jesus, we see the God in his glory and we begin to live truly human lives, to think, to act, to enjoy God's himself and God's creation as we were intended to. Jesus is so wonderful. He does this for people who do not deserve it. But here's the thing, beloved, for you to receive his mercy, to have this in your life, to be delivered from your present darkness, you need to have true faith in Jesus, like Bartimaeus. True faith in Jesus is not simply accepting that you are blind. I hope you accept that. But it's not simply accepting that. You need to Jesus to give you sight. Bartimaeus knew he was blind. Praise the Lord, you perhaps this morning realize you are blind. But now you must come to Christ. You must truly surrender your life to Jesus like Bartimaeus. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to truly have faith? What does it mean to be guaranteed eternal life? Oh, beloved, to have true faith, it results in a changed life. Bartimaeus has left his begging business. He has no desire or capacity for it now because his life has been transformed. He has made Jesus. He has a new life. The love of Jesus now constrains him to follow Jesus wherever he leads. He is on the way to Jerusalem. Why is he following Jesus to Jerusalem? He's following Jesus to the cross. Here is a picture, isn't it? Following Christ. Death to self. Surrendering all to him. That is true faith. Does this describe your faith? Can you look at Bartimaeus? Can you look at the woman of Tyre? Can you look at Jairus? Can you look at these people and say, I see my faith in them. This abandonment, this surrender. Well, if if you can't, go to Jesus now. Ask him, like Bartimaeus, to take away your spiritual blindness. I just remind you, there were many that day in that crowd, and all of them were blind. All of them were blind. All of them were spiritually blind. And only Bartimaeus received sight. Many are called, but few are chosen. Make your election sure. Surrender completely to him. But if you can look at Bartimaeus and can say, I see something of Bartimaeus. My life not perfect, I struggle still, but I'm, I'm surrendering to him. And I'm growing in surrender to him. Then Jesus is saying to you, isn't he? Take heart. 
get up. I'm calling. That is always what he says to believers. Why? Because he wants you to look to him. To continue looking to him. To continue delighting him. You have left the state of darkness now. By his tender mercies. He has drawn you to himself by loving kindness. And because of what Jesus has done, now you must rejoice. I was once blind, but now I can see. How do I respond? Rejoice. You must rejoice because you are living in darkness under the wrath of God. Now, the Holy God has reached out to you. He's given you a new sight. He has made you understand you are blind. And you cried for his mercy. He has saved you. Not because you are cleverer than other people. Do you see? Salvation is the Lord's. How can a blind man who doesn't even know he's blind ever be saved? It's all grace. He made it happen for you. I don't know what is going on in your life. I could give you practical outcomes for you, 10 tips for the week. Based on this scripture, I could do that. But I think this truth is enough. Just understanding I was blind, but now I see, should surely make me rejoice. How can we not rejoice not when we have a perfect vision of God for all eternity now? How can we not rejoice when we have been welcomed to the feast of grace? And how do we rejoice? Well, we keep doing what Bartimaeus is doing. In whatever situation we're in, keep following Jesus on the way. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Keep following Jesus all the way to the cross. Keep surrendering your life to him. Keep focusing on him. Look at your life. Where have you not surrendered to Jesus? Are you, are you born again and you have not been baptized? Get baptized. Are you baptized but you're not yet in membership? Become a member. Start serving. Are, 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 are you, are, have you been served and you are you are not sharing the gospel. Start sharing. Do you worship your job? Give it up now. Leave your begging business behind. Find something that will ensure that Jesus remains first and the job second. For some of us, literally, it meant taking a pay cut. Everyone is a better mess. Every true Christian is a better mess. And you need to keep walking, following him on the way. And our journey to the cross with Jesus in Mark starts this evening, doesn't it? And may the Lord help us uh, to see more of his mercies as we are about to enter Jerusalem. We'll see that this evening.